with chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Don Lemon. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, Tough week for you. (laughs) And not just that time you came on Keep It. Um, This is my new gig. Uh, oh, I and you, see. of course, are Tucker Carlson. Oh, that is much too bad. Honestly, if I get another tweet from someone saying I look too much like Ben Shapiro, guys, I can't choose how my forehead looks. I'm sorry. Do you? This is this is the I life I live. That. I don't see that at all. Okay, well, thank you. I needed to hear that. Whoever's tweeting that, Ben Shapiro does not have Lewis's arms. Ben Shapiro doesn't even have arms. Oh no, that he does not have. No. He's like a T-Rex. <laughs> Which is, I think, kind of, it's more Velociraptor, honestly. You think he's going to charge you down? The tiniest Velociraptor, like fresh out of the egg. Um, I'm Lewis Fertel, and we get to play um, our once favorite game on Keep It this week, which is Guess Who Died? Oh, I'm going to guess. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, let's see. Is, is Olivia finally dead? Have De Havilland? <laughs> she died a few years ago. Uh, did we talk about We did talk about it. Sidebar, I met somebody over the weekend at a game night, nice guy, who is an old film lover, and he was talking about how he went to Paris and found Olivia de Havilland's address. It's already creepy, but anyway. Oh, my God. He goes to her house and rings the doorbell, like just a full psycho. And she appears in a turret overhead, and she goes, she looks at him, like probably senses, you know, faggot, and goes, come back in an hour. He comes back in an hour. He like he finds a copy of uh, Gone with the Wind at a bookstore to bring to her flowers. She comes back in a different outfit. This woman regaled him with stories for hours. Ah! Imagine having that opportunity. And she's, of course, 98 at the time or something. Well, he, he, this faggot needs to write this like as a play or something. No, you're right. It's like a My Week with Marilyn. Yeah. Because yeah, also, she's dead now, so she won't be suing. No. <laughs> and you know she had the time. If you okay. remember Ryan Murphy, you know she okay. at the time. She yeah. was an old litigious bitch. <laughs> Which is what it should be called, the old litigious bitch. <laughs> Forward by Joan Fontaine. Um, I, yes, uh, no, but uh, Olivia de Havilland did die a few years ago. But who died this week? Harry Belafonte. Mm. Uh, a legendary entertainer. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening knows the Banana Boat song. But, I mean, this person's career has everything in it, including activism you wouldn't believe. Uh, he was named a uh, cultural advisor to the Peace Corps by JFK. He was he was mm-hmm. political up until the end. He was a Bernie Sanders supporter. I mean, we just don't have many cast members of the movie Carmen Jones running around anymore. Mm. An early maybe keep it to Paul Mescal being cast in Carmen, um, right. strumming his little guitar. I thought mm. he was working on Gladiator 2. Um are we giving him too much? I'm worried. And, and Ana de Armas is in it too, correct? Yeah. 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 And, She's another and, one where it's like, are, are we going through all the skills too quickly? We gave her a bit too much. And then yeah. Marilyn and Ghosted back to back are troubling. Yeah. <laughs> Ghosted. Never mind Deep Water. Right. That's what I mean. No, like, what the, the fuck was people, Adrian Lynn doing? Both of these people <laughs> are having like Chastain 2011 years where they're in like 15 things and only three you remember ultimately. Um, yeah, okay. And none of them are the 356. 
which you are the only defender of. This is what Keep It is for, reminding people that the movie The 355 exists. Um, Harry Belafonte. Uh, also, just like so an entertainer you saw in everything. I was thinking, going through the Wikipedia in my mind, I was like, I remember him on Sesame Street, and I went to go type it in, and he's singing about coconuts with the count. They're counting coconuts. Mm. The only descriptor on this video on YouTube <laughs> is, I believe this is the only time we see the count's feet. When will mm. the internet wake up? Why do I have to read that on this video of <laughs> Harry Belafonte? <laughs> and now I'm looking at the count's feet. <laughs> the Count is actually my second favorite. Um, yeah, from Sesame Street. Oh, Sesame least. Street Muppet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, my favorite is Grover. Oh, Gro- had, no, Grover. Excuse me, that he's that bitch. Are we going to yeah, go there? I had a Grover. I had a Grover little stuffed animal as a kid that beaten up, bloody, like losing <laughs> eyes. That I. Honestly, and this is a shame to admit it, I think that Grover stayed in my bedroom at least through sophomore year of high school. Okay. Like, well, it, like that that Grover like really meant like a lot to me. Oh wow. I mean well, I just love his like constant anxiety and embarrassment over yeah. the smallest thing. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like giving harried 70s divorce mom energy. <laughs> Exhausted by Elmo. Yeah. By oh no. Way. When Elmo came on the scene, I absolutely know Grover started smoking. He was done with that. <laughs> Which is funny now that he's gotten his his comeuppance because Elmo seems to be the most agitated Muppet on Sesame Street right now. Oh, it seems yeah. like he is co- he, it seems like he hates everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he remembers tired. the good old days. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think we tickled him too much. Um and by- <laughs> <laughs> there are a few people out there like that. You can spot them. Can I say about Harry Belafonte? Uh, I love people love doing this when like a celebrity dies, um, or uh, when they're very weird um, and want to find um, like evil Republicans attractive. Um, they always search that person's name with like young on Google. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let me tell you to the whoever tweeted out young Ron DeSantis. I hope you die in it. <laughs> oh, we need to not see that. Okay. No. Uh, but young Harabellafonte. Oh, hard. Have talk. you looked up this man? Because I want you to look at it <laughs> and tell me, young Harabellafonte is not Sasha Colby. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I didn't know we were going to go there. Allow me. I've never typed in something faster. You're right. The eyebrow line, the, eyebrows, the smile, the, yes. the, the 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 smile, the face that it's just so perfectly sort of like it's uncanny. Also, yeah, giving pure attitude here. I don't know if you're yes. looking at this picture. Like this is sass. Well, by the way, it's crazy that Sash Colby looks like one Harry Belafonte, and then two, at least in her confessionals on Drag Race, Madonna on Letterman in 1994, which she had the pulled back hair and was smoking. The cigars. Anyway, just look them both up, and I guess you get Sasha Colby. I'm just saying, you know, Harry Belafonte looks a little bit too fierce, and I want to know what Bayard Rustin had to say about that. (laughs) Also, by the way, I just remembered, Harry Belafonte was on a very controversial, or it became controversial because of his involvement, 
special with the singer Petula Clark, who you probably all know sang Downtown. She was sort of the the female face of the British invasion of the six in the sixties. And they sang you this. You all an- know. Ninety oh, percent yeah. <laughs> of Keep It listeners know that fact. Lewis. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, on this special, she sings a song with Harry Belafonte, and just casually at the end of the song, she touches his arm. This set off a firestorm. The like the person in, uh, who was head of the advertising for the special was fired. Uh, you you would you wouldn't even think it was worth mentioning, let alone um, uh, you know a fire starting event. But uh, it's a really lovely performance by the both of them. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking at like Hera Belafonte's um, filmography too, and let me tell you, aside from Carmen Jones and Uptown Saturday Night, of course, uh, you know, um, written uh, by Richard Wesley. Uh, who ran um, the NYU Dramatic Writing Department while I was at NYU. Um, Mm. I love you, Richard Rensselaer. And directed by Sidney Poitier. Uh, Aside from those two movies, I ain't seen a damn other movie here about Fonte has been in. I've got to tell you, it's one of those people who storied career. I think he was the first black actor to win an Emmy. Certainly the first Jamaican-American to win an Emmy. That was in the late Mm -hmm. 50s. But... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things like Angela Bassett. It's like, we know she's iconic and, you know, unstoppable talent or whatever, but honestly, the amount of legendary roles is fewer than you think. Actually, I'm looking now, there is one zany fucking movie that he is in, uh, (laughs) Island in the Sun. Oh yes, of course. Yes. With Joan Collins, Joan Fontaine, Dorothy Dandridge. It is literally about like interracial relationships on an island and it's psychotic. I believe he was with Joan Collins for uh, a spell too. Also, this is the second time Joan Fontaine has come up in only the introduction of Keep It, which was my goal since the time we started this podcast. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, our episode this week, as I alluded to Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson were both ceremoniously fired this week. So, um, one of them fired themselves, but we'll Seemingly. get into that. Yeah. Um, and then we've also got the fantastic, uh, Jordan E. Cooper here this week. Uh, Jordan E. Cooper, the youngest black American playwright on Broadway, wrote the amazing show, Ain't No Mo. Um, he's here. Make sure you listen to that interview. He is Truly one of our favorite recent interviews we've ever had. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, not to toot our own harm, we've been on fire with the interviews lately. So yeah. it's crazy. Okay. Uh, we're gagging my girls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't even know who we have the secret episode about coming up. Yeah. We are dropping a bonus episode later this week. Um, we actually do tease it in the Jordan interview. So you got to listen to it to find out who the fuck it is. But, you know. Get like us, bitch. (laughs) I.E. All right, we'll be right back with more Keep It. Looking for a new binge-worthy podcast to add to your queue? Look no further than Stiffed, the eight-part series from Cricket and iHeartRadio. Host Jennifer Romolini takes you on a wild ride through the rise and fall of Viva, the erotic magazine for women that rocked the publishing world in 1973, New York City. 
With a team of feminist writers and editors behind it, Viva in its original form had everything from full frontal male nudity to a fashion section run by none other than Anna Wintour. Basically, I love this podcast, and it's giving you, like, a sequel to Mad Men, only Mm. with women and boners. Got it. But with Porn King publisher Bob Guccione at the helm, were they always destined for failure? Find out now by listening to the first half of Stiffed, available for free on your favorite podcast platform. Speaking of Mad Men, what happened to Vincent Carthizer? I'm thinking about him. Don't miss out on this podcast. Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon were both fired this week, and they both did it in the messiest ways possible. And sorry, Positive America, but this is this is our lane. <laughs> yeah, move on out. <laughs> Enjoy your diplomacy talks, Tommy Vidor. Uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Ray Saudi, who I was with this weekend. Um, for, obviously, forward keep it um, guest co-host. Um, she said Don Lemon's firing was a bit like Farrah Fawcett dying on the same day as Michael Jackson. We're mostly going to be talking about Tucker Carlson. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, yeah, the Don Lemon thing. Well, what's so weird is, I mean, he's had a couple of, there have been stories about him being, uh, having sexist comments. Obviously, he had the comment about women being in their prime, which turned into something Michelle Yeoh made a comment about in her Best Actress Oscar speech. So that will, that's like fully immortalized in time. <laughs> but apparently, he may have been fired because he was having a conversation with somebody claiming that the NRA was instrumental in the civil rights of the 1960s, uh, instrumental to black people. And Don Lemon would have been on the right side of history to be like, no, 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 no. Obviously, that's a you know bizarre, dubious thing to say. But uh, uh, I, I think in general, the vibe was he was getting too d- defensive or uh, quote unquote biased on air. Listen, one thing Don Lemon will do on air is be talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you never know what it is about. You never know where it is going. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Um, much like his firing, which on Monday, uh, he posted to his Twitter, I'm stunned. After 17 years at CNN, I would have thought someone in management would have had the decency to tell me directly. At no time was I ever given any indication that I would not be able to continue to do the work I have loved at the network. It is clear that there are some larger issues at play. With that said, I want to thank my colleagues and the many teams I have worked with for an incredible run. They're the most talented journalists in the business, and I wish them all the best, which would be a fine-ish exit statement if it were not for the fact that when he posted this, First of all, it looked like he zoomed in on a fucking PowerPoint. I was going to guess, is it a forwarded email? Because the color of the the font isn't black. Yeah, it's purplish, like your three forwarded emails down on a chain. So did he forward his goodbye message to someone to read? And when (laughs) they said, it looks good to me, he screenshot it. The forwarded message <laughs> instead oh, of spring his for the black font. Email. Spring for the black font. Yeah, come on, Don. It and is giving. CNN, it is giving late forties, early fifties behavior, though. You know what I'm that's saying? That's fair. That's fair. And then CNN replies with, 
Don Lemon's statement about this morning's events is inaccurate. He was offered an opportunity to meet with management, but instead released a statement on Twitter. (laughs) That is so... I'm working at Starbucks. I'm working in retail at the boss calls me in for a meeting. And I'm like, well, I'm about to be fired. You know what I'm not doing? Coming to work. No, you're knocking over the racks at H&M on your way out. (laughs) Would you like to have a meeting with me Friday at 4 p.m.? Actually, I'm taking sick day. No, and uh, (laughs) the spangled belts are now on the floor. (laughs) Wow. Um. Now there's Tucker Carlson, of course, who was let go even less ceremoniously somehow. He really thought he was going to be doing a show on Monday uh, over at Kimmel. We watch clips from Fox News all the time to lampoon, make fun of, whatever. And we watched his final moments. And he truly says, cling to the ones you love. And we'll see you Monday. Like, I didn't realize how corny he gets. But um, (laughs) does he have anyone he loves? Let me me, me reverse that. Would anyone cling back to him? That's what I... (laughs) There's there's no, like, barnacles for him. Yeah. <laughs> the bow tie um, industry, are they, like, in, hurting for that? I don't know. Tucker Carlson was uh, allegedly in the midst of negotiating a new five-year contract. So, yeah, this this came out like ghost face. Right. He, did not, he did not see this shit coming. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, and no, no phone call. We're in the modern ghost face era. He just shows up. Yeah. <laughs> His firing was announced on the Fox News channel by Harris Faulkner, who said, we have some news within our Fox family. Terrifying already. Uh, (laughs) They're like, uh, a little Rosemary's had a baby and it's on its way. (laughs) That's the news. A little bundle of evil. Uh, Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's last show was this past Friday. We want to thank Tucker Carlson for his service to the network as host, and prior to that, as a long-term contributor. So, excuse me, he didn't even get a goodbye. So it was like the the sickle before the wheat. Rupert Murdoch reached down and said, flap, and it was over. Yeah. I mean, granted, that's probably how we're going to leave Keep It. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, (laughs) whatever happened to them? Yeah. Tommy, <laughs> John Lovett gives a statement on Love It or Leave It. We thank them for their continuous references. <laughs> to, but not uh, for the jokes they made about me. No, right, right. Even though that was the most journalistically accurate thing we ever did on this show. <laughs> I, I just want to say in general, nobody needs to hear this, but like the degree to which Tucker Carlson is pathetic and getting your 113-year-old relatives in a tizzy every Monday through Friday Cannot be understated. I mean, to really actually try to stir up ire over the aesthetics of a personified Eminem is just bone chilling. I mean, it's just, it's just so crazy how useless you are. Also, I know this is a thing to celebrate, but I also do want to point out that celebrating this is a little bit like thinking Michael Myers is dead at the end of a Halloween movie. Okay, this he's going to come <laughs> yes. back. Right. He's going to be elsewhere Uh, there's no way he's not gonna claw his little velociraptor heads up um back up to island nublar okay like he is he is here to stay i just don't know where you know it definitely won't i mean listen he's burned his bridges at fox he was fired from other places before too um and like he also had he also made fox have to pay like a 787.5 million dollar um settlement 
to Dominion Voting Systems to settle the election software company's defamation claim. And he was also to be one of the witnesses to testify if the case had come to trial. So he was just flagrantly, like, not just being evil, but also just sort of, like, lying. Lying is all get out on uh, his program. And finally, it was too much lying for Fox. Okay? It's never been done. It's actually revolutionary. (laughs) I consider it progressive. Too much lying for Fox. And uh, I don't know. I don't see him at another network because I don't see another network wanting to put up with that shit. But who knows? It It seems like there's not many places that could afford him, really. But of course, people like him, there's no wrong place for them to go. Like as long Mm. as they keep the audience going. And when you're a Republican, there's like endless... YouTube conduits or whatever podcasts where these things can still flourish. You know, it's like, what is Newsmax? Like, nobody actually goes there for credibility, but then they have these quote-unquote stars. So Mm. it's like, whatever. He'll find his way somewhere. Again, this is why everybody needed to watch the movie Tar for that scene (laughs) where they say the crocodiles survive. Yeah. Although if surviving as a crocodile means that you survive the Megyn Kelly way, where you just will randomly tweet an incendiary thing about a random pop culture thing every few weeks so that you go viral and get trending. I mean, what a sad, pathetic life that woman must have now. Right. No, she's on the Ann Coulter track. And by the way, I don't know what happened to Ann Coulter. So if anybody knows, do not tell me. Well, it's she going ran well out for book, me. Well, she ran out of book titles. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and metaphors for beating up liberals. Yeah. Uh, she used to have titles like, Resistance is futile. Never trust a liberal over three. Treason, high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, that was a bit of a steal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> demonic, how the liberal mob is endangering America. But in Trump, we trust. Girl, you've lost the plot. Yeah, right. She, she doesn't even believe that one anymore. Come on. I, but also, that bitch has more books than Janet Ivanovich. So <laughs> she she had a good run. Which, by the way, I was acquainted recently <laughs> with the fact that Danielle Steele occasionally will write for 23 hours a day. Correct me if I'm wrong, there are 24 hours in a day. So what is he... <laughs> that's when the eating occurs? How is this going on? Uh, <laughs> Danielle Steele likes romance and cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried. Yes. Uh, the problem with Megyn Kelly, of course, is that um, she's illiterate. So um, <laughs> she she doesn't have the books. Um, but um, And also, I, she's still bitter over the cancellation of Captain Planet, where she was a villain for such a long time and provided so many with joy. <laughs> Don't do Meg Ryan like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think Meg Ryan was only the voice in season one. Oh, okay. Well, she had to leave to go do the brave one. Right. So, um, I do, however, think T- Tucker Carlson will survive. He's malleable. Lest we forget, um, he used to wear those faggy bow ties on the yes. show right. until Jon Stewart bullied him into wearing ties. Right. Uh, so, yeah, leave um, the bow ties to Mo Rocca, bitch. <laughs> I do want to throw this out there, though. I would love an interview with a regular Fox News watcher who is excited that Tucker Carlson is gone. I wonder if that exists. There's mostly liberals excited, but there has to be someone who was like, I'm not watching that faggot. Right. Um, (laughs) I do think there is a particular Republican syndrome where they literally are incapable of finding a man annoying. Mm. Like, Like, they can be as 
uh, ribald and ridiculous and really screaming at the top of their lungs as possible. And that just is really electrifying to them. You know, mm, whereas that. almost every woman in sight outside of a few Fox News anchors uh, is annoying to them. But that begs the question, you know, like, do men find other men annoying? I, no, and they should. God would we be helped out if you found more men annoying. Yeah. Because men know. are obsessed with calling like female comics annoying. And th- this is a, a, a rant for another day. But like, for instance, Kathy Griffin, somebody who's routinely called annoying or whatever and then you say to that person name a a male comic you find annoying and they're like hmm carrot top and i'm like you're literally comparing somebody who is a woman who is standing on stage speaking to somebody who is whipping out accordion like props and yelling at the audience like it's just it's very telling that you can't you can still dial into the frequency of a um you know uh, a lunatic man more than you can literally a woman raising her voice okay Larry the Cable Guy is right there. <laughs> Probably shooting still straight to DVD movies right now. Yeah, and I mean although... DVD. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, there's Don Lemon, who I don't know where she goes from here. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, is HLN still around? Joy right. Be- Behar is still not like interviewing people like Melania Trump about who's a birther over there, right? <laughs> I mean, as annoying as Don Lemon was on air sometimes and seemed to annoy people who worked with him, the best version of Don Lemon was when he was drunk on New Year's. Right. And they stopped him from doing that this past year. But if there's a show where he could just get drunk and have a good time, then I'd watch it. Uh, I also want to say about him, I believe when he when we interviewed him one time, he was talking about how he's obsessed with old movies, like yeah. Betty Davis and stuff. Why don't we get him wasted on TCM? Why mm. aren't the commentators on TCM, a network I watch literally every day, why are they not drunk sometimes? Because when I'm, you know, rowdy and, you know, tipsy, what I am doing is screaming about Joan Crawford. Yeah. Dave Carger could use a bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> and okay? he's living in Palm Springs, so I know a life of leisure is already in the cards. Okay, you are not watching the Lady Eve stone cold sober. <laughs> Nobody is. Even though uh, Henry Fonda's vibe, stone cold sober. I do have to say, I can't picture him wasted. Honestly, though, I wish there was some sort of morning show situation where some, like, some executive with like big ideas uh, <laughs> on how to revitalize uh, <laughs> cable news would put Tucker and Don Lemon on the same show. Ooh, yeah, we need co-hosts. Network. We need network too. Yes. <laughs> and by the way, Faye Dunaway available. Don Lemon, Tucker Carlson, and Faye Dunaway giving you the news. I have never felt better. That sounds exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> that famous that famous uh, story where Faye Dunaway referred to someone as a uh, uh, little gay boy, little homosexual boy. When she was doing that play about Catherine Hepburn that uh, abruptly stopped because people were fearing for their lives from this woman who slaps people for real. <laughs> Let's just say, on a day-to-day basis, I don't know which one she would refer to as that. Don Lemon or Tucker Carlson? <laughs> <laughs> she would try it either way. She doesn't give a fuck. She'll fire an assistant today, tomorrow, and the next day. <laughs> Uh, all right. When we're back, we are joined by the wonderful Jordan E. Cooper.
Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Our guest today has achieved so much at such a young age, and Lewis and I should know because we're both 25. That's right. I really understand TikTok, and you should ask me all the questions about it. (laughs) His iconic play, Ain't No Mo, made him the youngest Black American playwright on Broadway, and he is also the Emmy-nominated creator and producer of The Miss Pat Show, 
We are thrilled to have him on our show. Welcome to Keep It, Jordan E. Cooper. Hey, hi, hi. Hi. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you, too. It's been a minute. It has. It has. <laughs> since we, we did uh, Michael Schulman's, um, who was just on Keep It um, for our Oscars episode. He has actors and people do monologues from different award shows. Uh, and we did Mariah Carey and Lee Daniels yes. at the Palm Springs International Film Festival accepting for Precious, which is truly a moment. And I want to ask you how fun that was doing. You played Mariah. I played Lee. How fun that was with you knowingly, you know, and working with him on Miss Pat and him having produced Ain't No Mo on Broadway. No, it was so much fun. Um, I asked him before I did it. I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing anything. You could if I do this. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't give a damn. I said, why were y'all so lit? I said, he was like, well, I had a couple of drinks. Well, he was like, uh, Mariah, he was like, Mariah had one drink, but she was taking uh, some um, medicine at the time that like, if you have one drink, it like makes everything just you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even really drink like that. He was like, she had one drink and she was gone. Uh, <laughs> hilarious. It's, it's just a hilarious video. They are lit in that video. <laughs> what exactly goes on in this speech? It's not, I don't know, remember seeing well, it. It's basically Mariah Carey won um, uh, a uh, performance award for Precious, for her role in Precious. Oh, uh, yes. Great performance. Yes. Yeah. So she gets up and she, she um, is shocked. And delivers a speech uh, that is uh, not coherent whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) But absolutely iconic at the same time. Uh, And Lee, (laughs) of course, is talking about how, like, when he approached Mariah, he was like, you got to do, you know, you got to take the makeup off. And she was like, I took my makeup off. You know, I put that mustache on. (laughs) Yeah, she she was being shady. She was like, I can take my makeup off. I don't look like that bitch on that thing. We don't know who the bitch on the thing is. I'm guessing there's a reason why her name couldn't be said. (laughs) Me, I am Mariah with the elusive elocution. That's, I'm, I will be looking this speech up now. Yes. Oh, no, it's so good. You know, drunk Mariah is the best Mariah. I'm going to do the best I can with what I got. (laughs) I still need the full version of that, to be honest. When it came online, like, her doing that, and then, you know, you just hear, like, the music drop. I'm like, I need to see the whole performance. So whoever has it, send it to me. I need one. <laughs> I was thinking of her yeah. anyway because they showed footage of her from like the first carpool karaoke where she got into the car apparently and according to James Corden, she said, oh, I'm not going to sing. And then he coaxed her by putting on Always Be My Baby and then of course, milliseconds later, she's singing. So <laughs> I'm just obsessed with the uh, uh, the whimsy, shall we say, of Mariah Carey at the moment. Yeah, she, she's, she's iconic. <laughs> okay, so speaking of icons, um, we recently interviewed Patti LuPone, uh, who, and that is coming out later this week. Keep it, listeners. Um, she basically goes on a rant about how iconic Ain't No Mo is and how what? you are yes. one of the best new playwrights she has seen. She, she She's like, I, yes, very serious. She was like, I cut my teeth on Mamet. He knows words, knows dialogue, knows characters, and she said that that is you, and then you also being in the show was phenomenal. She said, no one is doing 
theater like you are doing right now. So we had to tell you that. Wow, I'm gagged. I'm gagged. Literally, I'm I'm a pedal upon stand. Like I I am a pedal upon stand. So the fact that I knew she came to see the show, but I didn't know what she thought afterwards. Like I haven't heard anything. So that's that's wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. She she like had one hand in the air and she was like making sure she had eye contact with us and she was like, guys, this person is serious. Like it was it was like clinical. <laughs> it was it was like she was announcing a death in the family, how serious she was. <laughs> oh, that's such an honor. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I want to go back to a quote you said about uh, Broadway in general. You said that audiences in this particular moment right now are obsessed with knowing exactly what they're going to get when they go into a show, uh, whether it's existing IP. Just they they go in, they want a particular thing, and therefore other shows that are perhaps you know new material from exciting young playwrights. It takes an extra hurdle for them to get there because they don't know what they're going to get. Are, does this mean you are extremely pessimistic about theater right now? How do you feel just about theater in general? I'm not necessarily pessimistic about theater. I think theater itself is is ever growing and ever ever in a in a state of of um, uh, moving forward. Right? Broadway is a different story. Uh, Broadway, uh, I think, is really um, turning into a space where it's hard for new original works to to get on, uh, especially if they're original works of color. Um, this is the thing, you know, it was already hard pre-pandemic, but post-pandemic, it's like a whole new world, you know, because people don't want to spend their money on something, like I said, that they don't know. They want to spend their money on on coming to America the musical, you know, they they they, they want something <laughs> that they recognize that they know um and and see celebrities and faces that they know. And I think that that we just have to kind of reconstruct the model a bit uh in order to continue to get works uh that deserve to be seen. I think everything deserves to be seen, but but I think well not everything. Let me take that back. Not everything <laughs> I can name some shows. Okay. But I'm not going to name Leo <laughs> stat but you can keep going <laughs> okay uh, but but i do think that there's space for for shows like that that are big blitzy glitzy commercial recognizable titles and there's also spaces for shows that people have never heard of with playwrights that they've never heard of with ca- a cast that they've never heard of because a lot of times like i can tell you that our cast for ain't no more they were they were acting they were acting down on that stage like it was some of the best performances that i've ever seen in in theater period um and i think that it in order for us to get the Denzel Washingtons, we have to support Denzel Washington when he's in a soldier's play in the 80s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We have to we have to really look at new artists and not just support the people who who are already, you know, on the pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what what I also found so fantastic about the play, uh, and I've told you this too, uh, was I got to see it um, in a, a reading version of it in L.A., um, and then, you know, how it got transferred um, to Broadway. And I just want to ask, um, what was, you know, the impetus for this? Um, what, what, what was, you know, like rattling around in your head? Uh, and how did you come to Lee um, Daniels with this project and him wanting to be like, I got to take this to Broadway? Yeah. So so that's a long story. So basically it started, 
I started the inception of it in the summer of 2016 when uh, Philando Castillo and Alton Sterling got murdered within a week of each other. Um, and it's one of those things when it rains, it pours, and I was drowning in the pour um, of that, as well as I had my own interaction with a police officer at a 7-Eleven on 14th Street. I was like reaching up to get this slushy at this nozzle. We were standing next to each other. And when I reached up to get the nozzle, he like put his hand on his gun. And I just kind of put my hand up and just kind of backed away. Um, and he went on, smiled and went on. But I just went back to my dorm, just kind of really contemplating um, life. Uh, and contemplating uh, my own worth. I was like, people do not need to be marching in the streets over no dollar seventy-five cent slushy. Um, <laughs> it's like that is not that is not the song. Uh, and I really just I have a very dark sense of humor. I always tell people I find something to laugh at at funerals. I always say, why is she wearing a bra? She's going six feet under. Like, why, why? (laughs) (laughs) It is okay. Like, Jesus will let her titties be free. It is okay. (laughs) Swing them high, swing them low. Um, She can get through the gate. Um, But I I just really had to find something to laugh about to get over it and get through it, right? And so the idea of, like, what if we just all said F it? Like, what if we just said, like, like, Fuck it, we get on a plane, screw racism, screw uh, economical um, uh, separation, screw all these things um, that hold us back in this country and we're going to start anew and get on the plane and go back to Africa, right? Um, and as that started as a hilarious idea um, and then bringing in a drag queen being the flight attendant to get all these millions of Black people on a plane, uh, the play is basically us watching all these people decide whether or not they're getting on the final plane out of America. And if you don't get on the plane, then you turn into a privileged white man. Um, so a lot is at stake here. Um, but as I started to write this story, it was, it was, it was uh, very obvious that the question uh, that I asked, got an answer, and then I started to challenge that answer um, over what does it mean if we just all give up in that way? Uh, what happens with the blood that's in the soil and the bones that's in the soil of this country that built this country um, if we just stopped fighting, if we just said, you know, F it. But then also on the flip side of that, you go into Africa, but there's really no place for you in Africa. Like that, that's, not, that's not your home. It's your home romantically, right? But it's not your home. Otherwise, you're going to be colonizing people on that on that side of the spectrum. You know what I mean? You're, you're displacing people over there. So it's a really interesting conversation about what home is, you know, uh, for people of color and specifically Black people. Like, when you have a dash before American, home is tricky, right? That means you're not a natural American say like you're, you're, this is not your your space um but the reality is is that we built it you know um and and i think the the play really asks like how do we fight for what we built uh which is it, it was fabulous hearing patty talk about it but i also just want to say like that guiding instinct of having um uh, uh, of wanting to be humorous in a sort of dark or maybe even uh, strange way does that guide most of your writing in general do you find it it starts with that instinct absolutely it has to be i i I just because i think that's what life is you know when we get to laugh and cry with the same tears um it's uh with this instill magnolias laughter through tears is my favorite emotion that's my favorite thing to write you know um and i think that like in all of my work they all have this kind of very dark morbid yet hilarious kind of um, kind of existence to them. Like even in the Miss Pat show, um, the reason why I was drawn to it 
uh, was because, you know, Miss Pat, who's a real figure, um, she, you know, she's a brilliant comedian. She's been shot twice. She used to sell drugs. She had two kids by the time she was 14 years old. Uh, she went to prison and now she's a full-time mom and stand-up comedian, you know? Um, and what's so brilliant about her is the way that she's able to take the darkest moments in her life and find a way to laugh at them. Uh, she can make you laugh about being shot in the back of the head. She can make you laugh about being molested. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so twisted and it's so dark, but through that laughter, she has control and power over the thing. I remember one of the funniest real life moments I've had with Miss Pat was we threw her a surprise birthday party. It was her 50th birthday party. We threw a surprise party in Atlanta and we brought her up there and we're like, surprise. And she's like, oh, thank you, thank you. You know, and then she gets the mic and she was like, I don't know who planned this birthday party, but did y'all know that I got molested in the graveyard right across the street? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> she's just dying laughing. Everybody's like, did she really just say that? Who booked this place? Did nobody know that? You know? <laughs> It's just so ridiculous. Uh, and so things like that, I find that funny. I find that hilarious. You know what I mean? Um, because there's a sense of victory in that, you know? There's a sense of victory of she's here, you know? And I think even in plays like Ain't No Mo, there's a sense of victory in the pain of we're getting murdered constantly um, and we're being um, uh, discriminated against constantly, but yet we find something to laugh about. Mm -hmm. Um. You, Miss Pat, obviously, you know, the show like you worked on and ran, you know, for seasons and now ain't no mo, you know, you went to Broadway. Um, truly, what what do you want to do next? Like what, what you, this, these are two things that are like dreams of people who are, you know, in their 30s, 40s, you know, have been writing forever. Uh, and you've had such, you know great highs um early on um even with ain't no more um closing far too early um you know what what do you want to conquer right now yeah there's so much i want to do i want to do film um i want to write musicals uh i have more plays inside of me um i also just you know want to keep lifting up other artists as well. Uh, I hope to own uh, a theater one day. I hope to own movie theaters. Um, I just want to keep creating space, not only just for myself, but also for other artists. Um, but there's so many projects inside of me that I, I want to make. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of scary how much is inside of me. Uh, and I just hope that I can get them all out, you know? My goal is to, like, when I die, I want to go to heaven empty, you know? I want I want to I want to go empty like knowing that there's nothing left inside of me. I poured it all out. I did what I could uh on the earth. And that's the goal, you know. You have a natural um ebullience that makes me think you are probably writing constantly. Are you somebody who doesn't ever suffer from things like writer's block? Cuz looking at you, I almost can't picture you being like actually I don't know what to write about today. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is I always know what to write about. I just don't always feel like writing. Mm -hmm. That's mm. the problem. Um, <laughs> listen, it's like when I have to sit down and write something, that's the cleanest my house will ever be because I'm constantly just putting on music and just cleaning everything. The things that I, <laughs> like, I just constantly stall uh, because it's such an experience and it's such a draining experience for me, uh, even though it's rejuvenating and it's blissful. But it's also, you know, um, my favorite part isn't me sitting by myself in the room. My favorite part is getting it in a room with other people and making the thing uh, breathe. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I have to sit down by myself and, and, and like really um, uh, converse with my spirit, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of work. So I try to avoid it, but I, I can't because it's like, there's things that need to be said, um, not only for other people, you know, I always say, I never write for other people. I always try to write for myself because there's something that I need to hear or something that I need to hear for, say for myself. Um, because it's like, I'm not Jesus with two fish and five loaves of bread, y'all. It's like, I, I, I gotta eat too. I gotta eat. <laughs> Jesus so, said the same thing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I got to put me first. No. I got to put me first, Judas. Right. You sit, sit to the left, right? Um, no, I, I really just like, it's important for me to eat and I want to set out some plates for other people to have enough to sit to make a plate for themselves and sit down and eat with me, right? Um, that's the goal. But I always got to eat first. I never try to right from being on a soapbox with a message that I have to get out. You know what I mean? Um, which is why, like, even with Ain't No Mo, it's like, it's 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 rare that you get, like, a, a, a Black play or a play about race in general that's speaking about, about a, a cultural experience and isn't preaching to white people. You know? Mm. It's, it's it's not it's not here to 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 be like white people. This is what it's like to be black, and this is what you shouldn't do, and this is what you should do. It's really just like no, this is our experience. Like you 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 can come in the cookout, or you can't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like the door is open, but if you want to engage, come and engage. But it's not. We're not going to go out of our way to invite you. You know, in the sense of like. The same thing with, I always say, you know, I remember one of the early reviews of Ain't No Mo, um, it was a review who actually loved the show, but one of the things that he said was, he said, uh, sometimes too many colloquialisms went by too fast. And I was like, how many times have I sat in a Shakespeare play or in a Samuel Beckett play and too many colloquialisms have gone by too fast? <laughs> and it's like I have to do the work to engage and it's the same thing with all audience members it's like yeah this may not be your your culture but you have to do the work to engage the same way that we have to do the work to engage with the works that are considered seminal with the works that are considered you know this is necessary and you have to oh you don't know anything if you don't know this you know why can't we do that same thing with works like August Wilson with works like Victoria Hall with works like you know what I mean Robert O'Hara you know what I mean like those kind of mm-hmm. people um, and it's just really that's what that's what theater should be. It should be everybody's experience, because I believe that through specificity, you get universality. You know what I mean? Somebody's going to see themselves. I had people coming up to me crying after Ain't No Mo who weren't even from America, who weren't even black, but yet saw themselves in the story. You know what I mean? Saw themselves in the situation, that idea, once again, of not knowing where home is. I have to say, though, I'm I'm just impressed by staying the course in terms of your own specificity though because i feel like that what that means is you end up having to have these battles with other people putting this show together or working on this show and being like no it's gonna i'm i'm not going to i don't want to say pander but like change it so that it might be more recognizable to a certain kind of viewer that you know whatever does that mean you have to sort of defend your work constantly um i do have to defend it at times thankfully i've been surrounded by people who get it um and and if they don't get it then they're willing to do the work to get it um, but I, I think that I'm kind of grateful for that, that I have that thing in me because, you know, my beginning was before I knew traditional American theater and, and, you know, Sondheim and, and, and Beckett and, and Moyer and all these people, I, I knew, you know, Tyler Perry when I was six years old, 
Mm-hmm. I knew uh, Jacarius Johnson when I was six years old. I knew David E. Talbert, not personally, but meaning like as far as the works that were accessible to me in my community that I lived in, because we didn't have access to Broadway where I was from, you know? So our our version of Broadway were, were the bootleg plays that we got in the barbershop and the beauty salon, you know? And so because a lot of that, like for me, I was doing plays in my living room since I was like a little bitty kid. And I didn't really know that was a thing until I saw these children circuit plays. And I was like, oh, People do this. Like you put on, like you put on costumes, you put on lights, you put on, you know what I mean? All these things that I didn't have access to. And the the reason why I'm grateful that that was my first introduction to the American theater was because it taught me that there were no rules. It taught me that I didn't have to, you know, fit into the traditional American canon. It was like, no, you can do whatever you want. Just tell a story, you know, and make sure that you're, you're, you're taking care of your audience. And I think that that allowed me to, when I did get into like late elementary school or early middle school and started to get into traditional, you know, white American theater, I started to approach those things with, with, with a new appreciation where I could appreciate them, but I could also translate them. You know what I mean? I could also mm-hmm. translate them in a way where, where it was like, oh, this is dope. It's not my style, but it's dope. And I see the human condition and the human experience in it uh, and the brilliance of it. Um, and thankfully I just, I just write, write for whoever I write for. You know what I mean? I write for black folks who listen, when I tell you people were in that theater twerking on them seats. <laughs> they I, were. I the opening heard. of that show is so wild and fun and just, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a, it's a call and response, you know, it's, uh, it's a funeral, uh, but at a black church, it is. It's so fun seeing like white seeing like white people in the audience too, like some who are like wanting to get into it. And you yeah. know, and like it's it's fun. And I will say, I get exactly what you mean because, you know, and this is to knock any other play, right, or plays, and I'm not gonna mention people by name, but I will say that like one of the times I know that maybe like a black play isn't even gonna be for me is if it's like become a play where every white person I know like cannot wait to Instagram the playbill and be like, I just saw this, you know, it's always, that seems like it's being made for them. It seems like it's at least helping them explain like some part of blackness to them. They're coming away being like, I learned a lesson, you know, and they didn't really learn a character's story. They didn't really learn these people. Um, I don't even remember the movie, but, and it's wild that Roger Ebert wrote this, but I don't even remember the movie, but Roger Ebert was like reviewing a black film. It was a Spike Lee movie. I forget which Spike Lee movie mm-hmm. it was. It might've been Do the Right Thing. I think he was basically just sort of writing that this was his first time really seeing like a black film that was produced in Hollywood where there was no explanation for the white audience, right? And there weren't even jokes where it's like, oh, white people are crazy or like you're like sort of like breaking the third the fourth wall too, acknowledging that white people are watching it and like explaining like colloquialisms or jokes. It was literally like this was made for a specific audience and other people can just come and watch it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's, that's beauty. Like that's beauty. Cause it's like, we, like I'm tired of explaining, you know, <laughs> just come and have a good time. Just come and have a good time and engage and be with it. You know, um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have time to put a, put a spoon in a potato salad and put it up to your mouth, you know. <laughs> Try understanding Pinter. Okay. Right. Well, like, like the, the, the whole semester 
where I had to learn like how to read Pinter in yeah. in uh, college. And I'm like, he never taught people. The people yeah. just had to learn what the fuck a Pinter play is. Exactly. Exactly. And I remember I remember I went I went to a school in um the new school and there was a teacher who was teaching. I was so excited to take uh female playwrights. It was a class all on female playwrights. Like, yes, I'm so excited. I get in there, of course I'm the only black student, but I'm looking at the syllabus. She's passing out the syllabus. And there is a week for black female playwrights. Oh no. Mm. And it's not I, a week. <laughs> I, I was like, not Negro Week. What is this? Recording <laughs> <laughs> <Courtney> Collins show. <laughs> literally, literally, don't touch that dial. No, <laughs> it's so crazy to me that we were so segregated in that way and not just a part of female playwrights in general. You know, why 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 are why are these white female playwrights being lauded and lifted to be majority of our seven week process. Like what, but we get Negro week. Like, it's just so interesting how, how black folks, I had that same, no, it was a different teacher at that same school, read one of my plays when I was younger and, and pulled me aside after class and said, Jordan, you're, you're, you're the best black playwright I've ever read. Oh my. And she, and she ranks those, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? I was like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? You know? And don't get me wrong. It's like, I'm proud to be a black playwright. It's just, I just hate that everything is so segregated. And you're, that tells me that you're not looking at the work. You're looking at, at how you receive it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, she's like, I can't fully receive this because it's not my experience. So I have to put it in this box. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Wendy Wasserstein got a full week in that class, too. So, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about what people were learning and I'm concerned. Uh, you know, how long did y'all take to learn how to drive in that class? OK, <laughs> <laughs> probably two weeks. <laughs> probably we're at Top Girls for a whole month. Oh, <laughs> What would you say is the most fun you've had at the theater in the past couple of years? Ooh, that's an awesome question. The most fun I've had at the theater in the past couple of years. It's rare that I have a lot of fun in the theater. It's very rare. That's a great question. I mean, I have fun at Fat Ham. You know, I have fun at Fat mm-hmm. Ham. Um, I, have, I saw Good Night Oscar. That was Good Night Oscar last night with Sean Hayes. I just heard mm-hmm. that he's amazing in it and got a standing ovation in the middle of the play. My gosh, literally got a standing ovation. Mm. Uh, I need to see that. I need it's to about Oscar Levan to the uh, uh, composer and very kind of droll wit. Uh, Sean mm. Hayes is a perfect fit for it. Yeah, and it's, it was hilarious. The jokes were were like 90% of the jokes were like just like on fire, like just mm. boom, boom. Um, so well written, so well directed, so well designed, so well acted. Sean Hayes, if, if that was a film, he would have got an Oscar. Like it was, mm. it, 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 it mm. was. He's he's so present and is giving all of himself, all of his soul, all of his being. Um, so moments like that are like that's top tier theater to me. I had fun at Anne Juliet, um, mm. fun uh, at Shocked. Shocked was a lot of fun. Alex, uh, I still need to see that. I love when Alex is on stage cutting up. You know you're about to have a good time. Alex Newell, listen, listen, <laughs> listen. Words cannot be expressed that how much that they are just like they're the closest that we're gonna get to like that moment of like watching Jennifer Holiday and Dreamgirls. Mm. Mm. 
like at the Imperial Theater. Like that's the closest that I feel like we're gonna get in this generation to that moment. Um, mm-hmm. I do like- just want to say about Jennifer Holiday and Dreamgirls, if you ever are feeling low, please look up the clip of her on the American Idol finale where she is singing that song with runner-up Jessica Sanchez. And Jessica Sanchez <laughs> is devoured on the stage. Fully please. Jonah and the Whale. It uh, is unbelievable. I was like, why did she do that to that baby? Jennifer Holiday said, I got something to prove. Sorry. You're not <laughs> next to me. You know? She, oh. she didn't get that cameo in that movie. They always mad. So they was like, we're going to show you. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It started out social enough, and then, yeah, something with the jaw occurs, and then she is just gobbled up. I mean, it's it wild. It is. Yeah. Okay. It is, it is, it is giving full alien. Okay. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> run, Ripley. Like, with Jennifer Holliday's jaws and chatches. I have to say, those were great moments that you mentioned. And, like, Ain't No More was, like, really one of the most fun times I had in the theater in like forever and really just that I can't wait to see the um, Sean Hayes' play as well because what I tell you what I love about theater I love I love play I love musicals obviously but like I love a play that feels as fun as vibrant as a musical musicals Mm -hmm. have the music that's gonna keep you like entertained throughout the show but if it is a play and there are moments in it that are fun, that are, make you cry, that are, like, going in different directions. Like, I want this shit in different areas, yeah. you know? Like, that's what I want. That's a play. And yeah. I'm just tired of seeing, you know, people on stage having a damn conversation. No, you're absolutely right. That's why, I like, for me, because I love musicals. I love, I love music in general. So even as I approach my writing, I try to write the monologues and Ain't No Mo, I try to write them like musical numbers. I try to write them with the rhythm and the bombacity and the and the and the, the spectacle of a musical number, um, like the black monologue uh, where she bursts out of the table, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, the the church monologue that the preacher has, where it's like we literally the roof is getting blown off the theater. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And dancing. It's like that is I'm I'm the exact same way. That is that is if there's no music in it, even if it's a play, and I'm not even talking about music like as far as traditional music, but even your language can be music. If there mm-hmm. is music in it, it's not it's not for me. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Thank you for being here. And to close, you know, you just said it again, language. And to bring it up again, Patty LePod said, you know, you understand language. Wow. So that was that's so wild to me. That is mm-hmm. so Patty LePone is everything. You hear me? Every, <laughs> I saw her final performance of um of company, where she got like a mm-hmm. three-minute standing ovation for the ladies who lunch. Yes. Wow, I love Patty LuPone so much. I did Ladies Who Lunch on Miscast. I was on I did Miscast this mm. year. And that was my song, Ladies Who I Lunch. love Miscast so much. Yeah. I can't I can't wait to watch that. It is so much fun. Miscast is and everybody was perfect. Ben Platt was amazing. Like Bonnie Mulligan, like Lauren Courtney, Rachel Zelda. Everybody was just you're gonna love it. You're gonna love okay, it. Okay, great. Yes. Uh Thank you for being here. Good Thanks lord, You're, what a pleasure! Yes, yeah. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. So y'all are y'all are so much fun, so much fun. Yeah, let me tell you the. Let me tell you. Sorry to to close out the the two quotes that she said because we have them written down. Jordan Cooper knows what he's doing, and 
I came out of there so mad that it was ending and so grateful that I had seen it. Wow. And you know when yeah. Patty Lapone says she's mad, she's telling the truth. She's mad. So, okay. Yeah. okay, she was she was she was turning off people's phone. Yeah, actually, <laughs> it's also so wild to me how much Patty loved that show. And that tells you like how much like the show was like enraptured in people because Patty will be on stage and be like, stop acting up in this show, you know? But people but people were acting up because they were supposed to act and they were being moved. That's what she wants. That's not no, because she is she is the toughest theater critic you will ever meet. Like, and I've never even met her, but the way she talks about shows, child, she will let you know what she thinks. Okay. Mm -hmm. She was talking about she was on uh she was on Watch What Happens Live the other day, and and Andy Cohen asked her what she thought about uh Phantom of the Opera closing, and she was basically like, I don't. She was like, she was like, why is it there so long? She was like, why would anybody want to see Phantom of the Opera? And if you saw it, why would you go again? <laughs> she goes there as we say yes well that means so much thank y'all for sharing that with me that made my day oh, happy to and when we're back keep it with chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode, This Is Keep It, which, by the way, is a two-time Webby award-winning series as of today. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. Also, two time, whenever you say two-time winner, I immediately think, that's right, Hillary Swank. And that's who I feel like <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> so it's all downhill from here, right? We're going to start freedom writing tomorrow. <laughs> Alaska Lewis. Daily, I will see you soon. <laughs> Uh, one of the really hot actors from Alaska Daily just followed me on Instagram recently, though. Oh, my God. What a life event for you. I'll think well, I'll remember this moment and where I was when you told me. Well, if he's single, it might be a life event, Lewis. Oh, OK. Well, it got sad. Our <laughs> Webby winning podcast got sad. <laughs> they talk about this kind of shit or call her daddy all the time. OK, <laughs> OK. Call me daddy. Call me comma daddy. OK. Oh, I see. Mm, cute. Yeah. Uh, Lewis, what is your keep it? Well, it's one of my favorite kinds of keep it's in which I say the keep it to myself. 
Mm. Because, guys, what have I spent the last week doing? No, I still have not seen Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret yet. A movie I hear is fabulous, produced by James L. Brooks of uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show and The Simpsons and Terms of Endearment. I hear the movie's Mm -hmm. great. I can't wait to see it. I don't know if it's because the streamers have been pushing this stuff to me. Maybe it's Freebie, which I downloaded for that show Jury Duty, which has these movies on it. But I have been watching the 90s movies of Woody Allen recently, breaking my own commandment. I believe I stated on this very podcast years ago. And can I tell you, keep it to me for just watch, spending all this time watching these movies, but I'm going to attempt to defend myself now. One, mm. Ira, do we have a director right now who, when he puts out a movie, makes sure it's fucking 90 minutes? Because I have to tell you, that is what is roping me into all of these movies. Literally, you could be like, Lewis, here's a video of your parents getting executed. I'd be like, oh, that's terrible. And then you would say, it's 91 minutes. I'm like, well, I have the time. I can still make dinner. So I'm going to watch it. (laughs) But you forget in all of these movies, first of all, who is in them? I watched Sweet and Low Down, which is the movie about uh, Sean Penn as the guitarist. who was Oscar nominated for it. So is Samantha Morton. John mm. Waters is in that movie. I watched every Everyone Says I Love You, which is his New York musical that he did, which is like mm. actually pretty quaint and lovely. But Edward Norton's in that movie. And Goldie Hawn gives a performance that is unbelievable. This makes all the sense in the world to me now because you were tweeting about Judy Davis. I know you're usually <laughs> tweeting about Judy Davis, but I was, yeah, like, must have been Saturday. But I was like, was this bitch watching Deconstructed Harry? You better believe I was. Where <laughs> Kirstie Alley gives the performance of a lifetime. And then recently I watched Husbands and Wives with Judy Davis. Guys, if there is ever better realized rancor in a performance, Judy Davis, <laughs> after her, she and her husband separate and she's trying to go on a date. But she's distracted because she's suddenly furious with her ex-husband, who she calls in the middle of the date. You've never seen better phone acting. You've never seen more brown lipstick in your life. I mean, (laughs) this woman loves a matte lipstick, and she loves it to be tawny. Uh, Mm. And also, she's the original Australian who, flawless American accent. Absolutely. We should have been grilling Tony Collette about this. Mm. Um, But uh, I just will say... He's unfortunately one of these people where you can't talk about the careers of certain actors without bringing up Woody Allen and Mm. revisiting Bullets Over Broadway, which is, I think, now my second favorite Woody Allen movie after Another Woman, which is 77 minutes. Um, Those are your top two. just a pleasure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm. I'm still still up there with um, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Oh, of course. Uh, What a deserved Oscar win. And also, yet another... Like, kind of thankless, but kind of good role for Rebecca Hall. Yeah. and then, Which is what she specializes in. And then it's ca- caught a bunch of strays um, since it came out, probably because Woody Allen is, um, you know, a demon. Who he is. Um, yes. She is who she is. Yes, exactly. Um, Matchpoint. Which, by the way, is his longest movie, and it's just over two hours. This is what I'm talking about. That movie is sexy as hell. Jonathan Reese Wires. Matthew Good, those are men. Yes. <laughs> Oof, Matthew Good. Not discussed enough. Yeah. Uh, bring back real men! <laughs> <laughs> is that your Tucker Carlson? Who is that? <laughs> that was my Christian Walker. Oh, my God. Who I'm sure will be replacing Tucker in the next few days. So we look forward. <laughs> Maybe he's getting mimosas with Tucker, if you know <laughs> what I mean. Oh, I hope I don't. Every joke I've made about Tucker Carlson on this episode, by the way, let me add a Star Jones allegedly after it. But you don't wear bow ties that long, baby, unless you're doing the bending. Because <laughs> I will say, when I was a Chelsea Lately panelist, that was my I have a personality um, uh, accoutrement. Like, yeah. look at me. I'm, you know, 
the bow tie faggot. So yeah. I'm just saying, there's actually some, I think, credibility yeah. to this. You know I've who lived else? It. You know who else? Slappy the doll, okay? <laughs> and he wasn't just a wooden <laughs> doll. He was taking wood. What? <laughs> Why would this happen to me? Why do I have to hear that? Haven't I done enough in this life? Ira, what is your keep it before I implode? My keep it goes to a song that I rediscovered today. He was taking wood. Go ahead. <laughs> My keep it goes to a song that I rediscovered today. Oh. Uh, a close friend of mine, uh, who you know, uh, Ted Ripple, mm-hmm. uh, sent me, we send each other like songs like every other day. That's um, our relationship um, since we're in different cities now. Um Usually songs that we love that are bangers, like things that like we think the other hasn't heard. Um, he was going through his like songs and found an anomaly. It is the I Wanna Love You Forever Soul Solution Remix Radio Edit. And this is, of course, I Wanna Love You Forever by Jessica Simpson. Jessica Simpson, yes. And my key bit is to the fact that, one, this sounds so fucking good from a production standpoint. That is usually the case, Okay, yes. the Soul Solution remix. Soul Solution, whoever they are, they're getting it, okay? But, damn, that girl could not sing. It really, uh, again, uh, I, I bring up Danny <laughs> Pellegrino all the time. There's a specific group of 35-ish-year-old gays who on Instagram keep reminding you how crazy the era was where, Je- where Jessica Simpson kept getting on TV to sing. Okay, and, sh- and she was, she she was, she thought that she was singing down, okay? Yes. She was, the, the, the lips were quivering. She was, the hand was the going The Mariah up. hand, definitely, all the time, yes. Like, and the, the enunciation, like, she thought that she was Billie Holiday. She yeah. thought that she was Etta James, okay? <laughs> she thought she was... Eartha Kitt on Santa Baby, okay? <laughs> she was Jennifer Holiday. She thought she was Jennifer Summer Vacation. It's okay. I don't know about that. <laughs> she, Jessica but, Simpson at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Yes. <laughs> it, is, it is obviously like I love like a soul, like a house remix. Like I would love to hear this at um, Paradisco, the party at LeBane, um, at the Standard on Sunday afternoons. But... It is the vocals that is stopping the song from being a hit. And it is so crazy that we let that girl think that she could sing for so long when Ashley was right there. That's true. Who brings it? I saw her at the Hollywood Bowl uh, as, right. uh, not Velma Kelly, as Roxy. And she was mm. uh, very cute. But can okay, I just say, by the way... She has a raspy, like her whole, um, Ashley Simpson's whole like uh, lip-syncing thing really did too much to her career. Because she has such a raspy, like, Liza Minnelli-ish voice, okay? I want to hear Ashley Simpson sing, I Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Also, I remember the album I Am Me quite well. And uh, the song Boyfriend and uh, Burning Up on that album I really enjoy. By the way, these days we get covers of everything. Remember when we got, um, was it a Tanache cover of I'm Every Woman? Which, you know, we already... We had two Slay's version of that song already. So it is due for this song to be covered in a meaningful way. Yeah. Who who could sing I Want to Love You Forever and really, like, sing down? How about, you know what, Ellie Goulding? Mm, okay. Who did a great job at Coachella the other weekend. And I made a silly little joke on Twitter, and she responded to it menacingly. <laughs> What did she say? Okay, so I was having fun. It was late on Saturday or whatever she performed. And I said, 
Well, uh, Ellie Goulding celebrating 10 plus years of sounding like a freezing child. And <laughs> we're all having fun. And she responded with like a wrist gesture, which to me said mid. I don't know what she was going for there, but mm. I thought the joke was very cute and we were all having a wonderful time. And Ellie Goulding now, it's like that episode of My Life on the D-List where Renee Zellweger sends Kathy <laughs> flowers and now you're just terrified. What did that mean? Baby, <laughs> she's going to slap the trivia out your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she's going to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ellie Goulding. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> going Ellie hunting. <laughs> wow. Not that hard to find. You know I'm walking to a Starbucks. I can't believe you I can't believe you angered Ellie Goulding. I know. I didn't know she had it in her. Yes. Meanwhile, uh one of your icons and mine too, obviously, Alanis Morissette, followed me on Instagram. This is so, so upsetting to me, Lewis, the Alanis Morissette stan of all time. I, I literally have written like blog posts on forgotten websites about how Orchid is an underrated queer anthem. Look up the album Flavors of Entanglement. I think it was a Target-only bonus track, just for the record. But um, yeah, really upset at you. Well, you ought to know okay. that you collect more songstresses with honey <laughs> than saying that they sound like a freezing child. <laughs> You learn, Lewis, you that you're an called, asshole. You basically called her that little boy from that Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Ellie I'm Golding cold. just going, I'm cold. Beat drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we could remix that. I'm sorry, it would work out. <laughs> Gary uh, from Are You Afraid of the Dark? I always had a crush on him. Honestly, my vote for the cover, and this could maybe revive some of the midness uh, and resentment of her... Um, Solo album, mm-hmm. um, Chloe, Chloe Bailey. Oh yes, she yes, yes. could do. I Jessica Simpson's "I Want to Love You Forever." She would sound great. The Chloe X Halley album, still fabulous. You were a big proponent of that album. Mm-hmm. What about something else about "I Want to Love You Forever"? It was co-written and produced by Sam Waters of Color Me Bad. Wow, so, good for him. I want to sex you up. I Want to Love You Forever was the Kids Bop version of that. The radio mm. edit. I support that. Yeah, water down the color me bad for the kids, sure. Yeah. Also, so someone is lying several times on the I Want to Love You Forever Wikipedia. I Want to Love You Forever is a pop power ballad. <laughs> Baby, the power's out. <laughs> Call Con Ed. Anyway, that's our episode. Thank you again to Keep It listeners uh, for voting for us for the Webby Awards and giving us our second Webby Award. Uh, it is really, really a nice honor. And if you listen to our interview with Jordani Cooper, you already know we have an episode with Patty Lapone dropping later this week. And by later this week, I mean tomorrow. A bonus episode of Keep It featuring the one and only Patty Lapone. And she told us herself, you can turn on your phones for this episode. If you want to listen to it on your phone, you can. <laughs> uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more Keep It. Don't forget to follow us at Cricket Media on Instagram and Twitter. And subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Keep It is a Cricket Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. 
Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, keep it as filmed in front of a live studio audience. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.